Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. I invite you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 5, continuing our journey through 2 Peter uh, together. Brother John, we started 2 Peter a few weeks ago, and the theme is bearing truth in trying times. Now, folks, I just don't know if, if people fully understand what's going on in our culture today. But even in the church, the truth of God is in the minds of people. It just doesn't seem to be that important to them anymore. If you don't think I'm on target, when you get home this afternoon, sometime during the day, sit around with your family or a group of people and ask this simple question, what is the gospel? And see what their answer is. It's a, we, we're living in some trying times coming our way, and we're going to have to know the Bible to stand for God's truth. And uh, this is what Second Peter is all about. First Peter was about bearing testimony for Christ when Nero's persecution was on the way. Well, Second Peter is about standing for the truth in Christ. You've got to have both. You don't have the truth, your testimony will be for the wrong thing. And if you don't have a testimony, nobody will know the truth. So we are talking about in these verses one of the keys to being able to stand for the truth of God, and that is having assurance that you're saved, knowing for certain that you are heaven bound and that Christ is your Savior. And that you're born again. We often ask the question in this church, if you are, are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And uh, this is, uh, that's called assurance. If you can answer in the affirmative, that's called assurance. And this, is, this text is talking about not how to be saved, but what to do to have the assurance of salvation. Last week we started this text, these verses... And we talked about the source of your assurance. The source of your assurance. Well, the source of your assurance is the divine power of God and what He has done for you and done in you and what He is doing in you and what He has provided by His power. All that we need to live a godly life and to have certainty and hope and to have assurance, His precious promises, His power and His promises. But today, 
as Peter continues in these verses, we're going to talk about the supply of assurance. Just exactly what do you need to do to have assurance? We've seen what God needs to do, but today we're going to talk about what you need to do to have the assurance of your salvation. You just can't sit back and twiddle your thumbs and say, Hallelujah, I'm saved. Uh, You've got to do something. There's some things you've got to be active about, and we're going to talk about them. Next week, the Lord willing, we're going to talk about the wonderful sweetness of assurance. Just how precious and sweet it is to know that you're a Christian and know you're saved and have the assurance of salvation, biblical salvation from the Lord. It's wonderful to know you're saved, isn't it? It's wonderful to be saved. It's also wonderful to know you're saved. And next week, we're going to just talk about how wonderful it is. Man, I won't tell you, if I didn't know I was saved and that God has saved me and delivered me and redeemed me and forgiven me and will receive me and has already received me, I believe I'd be just miserable. But God gives us assurance, and it's sweet. And we'll talk about that next week. But today, let's read our text and talk about what do you need to do. What do you need to do to supply yourself with assurance? Well, verse 5, And beside this, beside the power of God in saving you and the promises of God in saving you, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brother, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, today we speak on the supply of assurance. This partaking of the nature of Christ when He saves us. It enables us and it prompts us, it motivates us to do our duty and our diligence to add to our faith these things that provide for our assurance. See, assurance is a duty not only to be done, but it is to be diligently done. There's something you have to do. We sit around twiddling our thumbs like we talked about a while ago. You're not going to have assurance. Now, mind you, he's not talking about how to be saved. God saves us. That's a work of God and God alone. That's called salvation by grace. 
But when it comes to having assurance that you're safe, there's some work you need to do. There's something you need to do. Now, you've got to understand that. Because if you don't, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to be saying, Oh, Dr. Mike, he's off the deep end. He believes you have to work for your salvation. He believes there's some things you have to add to your faith to be saved. I didn't say that. God has saved you, but there's some things you need to do to have the assurance of your salvation. There's some activity you need to do. And if you don't, you will always struggle in your heart and mind about being saved. Are you certain you're saved? You know, I've known people who have struggled with the assurance for salvation, their salvation for years and years. And they keep going back to the day that they prayed, signed the card, and got into the baptistry. And they're, they're very concerned. And they, they keep going back and they remind themselves, oh yes, we... We're all right, because uh, I did that. I did that. And they're settled for about six months. And then they get to battling the devil like we all do, and they get to being tempted, and they get to struggling, and they, they fall, and they mess up, and they sin, and they give in to temptation, and they're at it again worrying about their assurance of salvation. That is no way to live the Christian life. But you don't have to. Don't base whether or not you have assurance of your salvation based upon what you did. Don't ba- We're not saved by prayer. Even if Lifeway published the prayer. We're not saved by prayer. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you you're a sinner. You're a sinner. If you've never been born again and there's something in your heart telling you that you're good and you're kind, that's the devil. The Holy Spirit, first thing he's going to tell you is you're a sinner. He's going to tell you you're sinned. And you know what? You ought to agree with him because you have sinned. And you agree with him and he tells you, though, about the Savior and shows you the Savior's splendor. And you turn to Christ and you repent of your sin. You turn from going your own way in life And you come to Christ and by grace, His saving grace, and through faith, you are saved. You're saved. You're not saved by prayer. You're not saved by baptism. You're not saved by joining a church. You're not saved by those things. You're saved by the grace of God. But there's a work to do. There's a work to do if you want to maintain the assurance of salvation. And what does he say? He said, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And then he lists some qualities, some virtues, if you will. And the first virtue he mentions is virtue. So virtue, look look at this list. It's on the screen. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity or love. So what, what do these things mean? We, we need to know. If we're to add these things to our faith, we need to know just exactly what they are. What do we need to add to our faith? Well, uh, the word virtue simply means moral excellence. It means moral excellence. And, 
which is on, uh, uncommon and worthy of recognition. So there's a moral excellence that goes beyond just things that you don't do. It's also things you do. And it's a moral excellence that's in your heart and mind and is practiced in your life. So you add that. And you add knowledge. Well, you know what knowledge means? Knowledge. It's a very simple term. And you become one who is ever learning of Jesus in the Word of God. Always a student of the Bible. Always a student of the Bible. And you know, let me tell you this. You add these things. you got to work these things out. But God puts it in you. When He indwells you with the Holy Spirit, He puts this in you. You have a desire for it. The third is temperance. That's an old word. I love the word temperance. I almost uh, translated it differently today, but I like that word temperance, and it basically means self-control. Mastering your passions, your emotions, and your desires. You ever heard somebody say, well, he just has a temper. Well, I got news for you. Everybody's got a temper. Some people just let go of it sooner than others, right? But everybody's got a temper. Well, here's self-control. You need to add to your faith self-control. And then patience. That simply means steadfastness, constancy, and endurance, and it's related to temperance. They go hand in hand. And then he says godliness. Add to patience, add godliness. Well, that's reverence and respect for the things of God. It's talking about piety, honoring the Lord. You're doing that here today. And then brotherly kindness. Now, brotherly kindness is not just kindness. It's brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is a special and active love for Christians among each other. Brotherly is the word Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. It's love, the love of the brotherhood. So within this definition is this love that moves you to action toward your fellow believers. Okay? Toward your fellow believers. I'll tell you one uh, definition. That church. Huh? Being in the church. And then add to brotherly kindness, add charity. Now that's, that's love. That's the general attitude toward all people. Lost people. Saved people. Your neighbors. You love people as God loves them. And you've got to add these things to your faith if you're going to have assurance. Now, let me give you some observations about this. Three insights I'll give you into these virtues that we just listed. First of all, this is the balanced Christian life. These seven virtues show us a balanced Christian. You ever met somebody who wasn't balanced? Huh? You might say, well, that person's just crazy. Well, it's imbalance. They're out of balance. These virtues show us the balanced Christian life. Let me show you. The first two, virtue and knowledge, which excellence, moral excellence, and, and ever knowing God, the first two speak of the character of our faith. 
the character of our faith creates within us a morality and a way of life, a way of looking at the world that is moral and has integrity and is God's way. And it is based upon the knowledge we have of God in His Word. So the first two deal with the character of the Christian. The second three, self-control, patience, and godliness, speak to our inward disciplines. Those inward things. That self-control, that's an inward discipline you have. This um, uh, patience is an inward discipline. Godliness, your reverence for the Lord that brought you here today to worship the Lord. What that is, is that's this inward devotion, this inward drive that God's put in within you. And you build on it. And then uh, the third uh, group, brotherly kindness and love, speak to our relationship with others. So you have the character of your faith. You have the inward disposition of the believer. And you have the outward relationship. This is the balance of the Christian life. What faith produces in us. And also, I'll say a third observation, this is the blessed Christian life. You want to live like, you want to be blessed and happy in the Lord? You add to your faith these things. And it's the road to being a happy, blessed, joyful Christian. We're going to talk more about this next week when we get into the joy of assurance. But we cannot leave just yet. We have some truths from this text we have to consider. And the first is, we have to consider the deception of false assurance. We can never talk about assurance of salvation without addressing false assurance. We have to talk about false assurance. And it is the fact that these virtues, these things that, I, that we just read from the Apostle Peter... They can all be imitated. Did you know that? They can all be imitated. Peter gives us the real deal here. But these virtues can be fabricated. They can be imitated. And as a matter of fact, they are. Any unsaved person without faith in Christ can practice all of these things. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that most of the lost people I know in Ocean Springs, Mississippi and the 39564 area code and every other area code, most of the lost people I know practice these virtues. Did you know that? But they're not saved. They're not born again. They're not heaven bound. If they died today, they'd spend eternity in a devil's hell. But these virtues are imitated by them. Exactly what these things say. Most people have them. Even those who adamantly reject Christ. I know a person who claims atheism. But I won't tell you what. He's very self-controlled. He's very patient. Um, he's uh, very kind seems to have a moral excellence for the most part, but he's not saved. And so remember, these aren't works for 
salvation. This is a work of salvation. I, I would say that um, godliness, which is once again reverence and showing reverence for the Lord and maybe brotherly kindness would be the two that would be hardest to imitate because a lost person's not a part of a church family, they, they, but they could be. I mean, they may be, uh, I think every church has lost church members, but, um, and they can certainly act like they love everybody. After today, they may not love me, but uh, they don't love the Word of God. This is a fabrication. But for the most part, some semblance of these virtues are in our culture. We live in the South. Amen. I'm, I, you know what? I can go to a saved person's house around noon and be offered peas and cornbread. I can drive down the road to a lost person's house and be offered peas and cornbread. Amen. I can be in that saved person's house for the first lunch and never hear, hear a word of profanity, have nothing but respect for the church, and I can go down the road to that lost man's house, eat those peas and cornbread, never hear a word of profanity, and have nothing but respect for the church. Amen? That's true. These things can be imitated, but they are at best in lost people an elaborate cultural imitation of how a Christian with assurance lives. So, that's, that's an observation that we need to make. That's the truth we need to make. These virtues can be imitated. But preacher, what is the difference? These virtues in a Christian are not imitated. They are generated. Did you hear me? These virtues in a Christian are not imitated. They are generated. The difference between an imitation and the real thing is generation. These are things that the Holy Spirit produces within the believer. These are the things that God puts in you, these desires for these things. You, you put diligence toward manifesting them in your life. You do not go your own way. You do not let circumstances dictate these things. These are generated by the Lord. Let me show you what I mean. Back in verse 2, one of the key phrases in 2 Peter and in 1 Peter is found in verse 2, and it is grace and peace be multiplied. We have mentioned this several times. When you were saved by grace, you were given the peace of God. That's salvation. You were saved. But this grace and peace is not the grace and peace of salvation. This is the grace and peace of Christian growth. Because it is multiplied. Once you're saved, you're saved. There's no more grace, no more peace when you're saved. You got it all. When you were saved by the grace of God, He gave you all the grace He has to save your soul from hell. He gave you peace with Him. You are reconciled unto God in Christ Jesus. That means that all the peace that you can have with God has been granted to you by the Lord Jesus Christ when you were saved, that moment you were saved. But... This is grace and peace that is multiplied. This is the outworking of that salvation. This is that grace and peace that the Christian manifests. This is the adding these virtues. And so, um, this word multiply in the text 
is a passive verb. It means God is doing something in you. And when you were saved, God does something in you. The subject acts upon you. You are being acted upon. God puts grace and peace within you, and He multiplies it. What's the old song we used to sing in church? The longer I serve Him, the sweeter... No, He grows. Amen? Sometimes it ain't sweet. Right? The longer I serve him, the more difficult it gets. You say, I don't believe that. That's because you're not a pastor. You don't have to put up with you. If you're visiting with us in our church, this is Hebrew for amen or oh me. I won't tell you the longer you serve him, though, the sweeter he grows. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. I won't tell you that's what he's saying here. And the longer you diligently apply these virtues to your behavior, the sweeter he grows. The more you know of him because he's helping you and empowering you and filling you and you are being used by him. It is a wonderful truth. Because God multiplies grace and peace, you are able to add these virtues. They are generated in your heart. You don't squelch them. You squelch the flesh, but you don't squelch these things. You quench not the Spirit, as Paul said. That's a wonderful truth. And then we have this word add. Add means really to supply. It's an active verb. You do it. It's something you do. You add to your faith. Now remember, I have to say it, we're not talking about becoming a Christian and being saved and forgiven of your sin. We're, we're talking about um, uh, assurance of salvation, not salvation, but the assurance of salvation. You do nothing to save yourself, but you are saved by grace through faith, but you do something diligently, consistently, constantly to supply your faith, to add to your faith, supply your faith with these virtues to live in assurance. How many times you ever told your children, what's your last name? And they say Barnett. Of course, you don't say that. Barnett. What's your last name? Barnett. Then act like one. Amen. I had a guy one time said, you're acting like your mama's people. I walked away from him. Amen. But I won't tell you what. No wonder you don't have assurance. You're not adding these virtues and supplying these virtues to your faith. This is important. You add to your faith. Now the word faith is another key word in understanding how we do this. Now you got to get this. When you read the Bible, especially the New Testament... You come to the word faith. Now, sometimes, and I would, I would venture to say a lot of times, that word faith refers to the body of truth contained in the Bible. When, when Jude tells us to be firmly standing in the faith once delivered to the saints, he's talking about this body of truth contained in the Bible. The doctrines we believe that the Bible teaches. That's our faith. This is the, the faith right here. This is the faith. And then sometimes 
It's the subjective faith where you have faith in God to save you, to protect you, to minister to you, to be your Savior, to be your guide, to be your shepherd, the trust you put in God, your conviction that you have, that faith that you have. Well, this word faith is talking about the second He said, add to what you trust. Add to your trust. Add to your convictions. This behavior, this way of life, add to it. Supply it. You have trusted Christ. Amen. Now, live it out. Now, live it out with these seven virtues. That's what he's saying. These principles... For Christian living, you have it. And so back to our sub-point, the deception of false assurance. Inherent in this teaching that Peter gives us is the deception of false assurance. The imitation and the fabrication of these things, virtues without saving faith. See, there's saving faith. When you trusted Christ, that's saving faith. And he says, you add to that saving faith. You supply that saving faith with these things, these virtues. It portrays the principles of Christ in you. And you do not have them generated in you without the provision and the promises of God. We talked about in previous verses about our assurance. But do not let your assurance be false. Are these virtues fabricated? imitated, or are they generated by the Holy Spirit in you who has indwelt you? And then we come now to the um, diligence of fruitful assurance. The diligence of fruitful assurance. So how do you do this? How do you add these things to your faith? Well, let me give you a couple of things. First of all, you've got to clear your thinking. That add is a mathematical term. Add here is not necessarily a mathematical term. This is not teaching that God saves you and you're saved and He saves you and says, Okay, okay, I've got you started. You're on your own. That's not, that's not how it is. It's not how it is. That's not what God's saying. Okay, I've got you started. You're on your own. And by the way, you're going to be accountable for all this one day. No way. This would violate verse 3. Because verse 3, read it with me. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to godliness. So God says, when I saved you, I gave you everything you need. Everything that I have to give to provide you to be diligent in these virtues. It's in you. You have it. Be what you are if you're saved. If you are lost, don't be what you are. Repent. But be what you are if you're saved. So what does this mean this word add well 
It's an interesting word. Brother John, you're going to love this word. Every musician will love this word. Every music minister will love this word. It is the word epichoriego. You love it? We get our word choreography from it. That's where we get the word choreography from. And so he says, choreograph your faith with these things. Now, in our world, and, and it's a word from the theater, and in, in, in the world of the theater today here in America, when you say, we got to choreograph this, in other words, we got to get all the dance moves right, and when this guy comes in, and that guy comes in, and all that stuff, I don't know anything about that. You know, we just got to do all that. But in the Greek world, when Peter wrote these words, these words. A choreographer was not somebody who told the dancers where to stand and how to move and the singers when to come in, but the one who was the choreographer, he was the one who paid for everything. That's why the music people like it. He's the one who put the money down to provide everything for the play, everything for the theater, he paid the cost of supplying and furnishing everything that was necessary for the chorus, which was vital for the play, for the performance. So Peter says here, he says to you and me, be diligent, pay the price with diligence to fully furnish the chorus of your salvation with these virtues. Fully pay the price with diligence to furnish the chorus of your salvation, of your saving faith. Another way of saying it is like this. This may be more understood for us non-theater types like me. The virtues are not the house, these things. They are the furniture. And if you don't diligently fill the house with furniture, it's not going to be a, a happy place to live. It's not going to be comfortable. You're not going to have any place to sit down and rest. You're not going to have a table to eat your meals. You won't have a television to watch this on YouTube. And so basically what he's saying here is, is if you lack assurance... You need to start adding furniture. Get busy manifesting what Christ has put in you. And so that's what this text teaches us. This is how you supply yourself with assurance. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? What do we need to do? Real quickly, don't start leaving. If you start getting your stuff together, I'm going to preach another 20 minutes. Because you got to get this. That's one of my pet peeves. I say in conclusion, and people start gathering their stuff together. Well, we're not going to do that anymore. Amen? I try not to say that. I promise you, I can go another 45 minutes. But old Matt Goff wants to get to the buffet. Right, Matt? Amen. So don't be getting ready. All right? First of all, this is what you need to do. Recognize that this is nothing new. 
This is nothing novel. Peter's not saying anything that Paul hadn't said already. The Holy Spirit isn't giving us something that is another hill for us to climb. He's not complicating the Christian life for us. You ever had one of those days where you were so busy and all of a sudden somebody calls and says, can you do this? And you hang up the phone and say, good night of living, one more thing to do. Have you ever had a day like that? Y'all need to get out more. I want to tell you, he's not saying that. This is not what we have here. Paul said it like this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul said it. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want to tell you, folks, if these things are generated in you, they defy your sinful flesh. And he says, don't yield to the lust of the flesh. He said it in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And so he's not saying anything new. This is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian who is walking in the Spirit. The second thing is, is be consistent in your study of the Word of God. Learn it. Verse 2 and verse 3. Learn it. Learn those truths. What God says about you as a Christian. Learn it. Don't just be somebody who comes to church on Sunday morning and hears a sermon or a Sunday school lesson. Be a daily student of the Word of God. Get you a, I would say this, get you a time of day where you do not answer the phone. And sit down somewhere in your prayer closet, your chair, wherever it is, and spend time in the Word of God. Read it systematically and study it. Why? Because one of these virtues is knowledge, and it all keys on that. My people die because of lack of knowledge, the prophet said. Why, 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 why aren't you showing brotherly kindness? Because you just don't know how to. Well, you've got to get in the Word of God and find out. You got to get to know the Word of God. You got to be a student of the Word. Folks, I want to tell you, trying times are coming. The people of God are going to, going to have to stand. It's coming. We've got so many things on the horizon coming upon this country. Uh, it, it would scare the starch out of you. And, and maybe one day we'll address some of those issues as the Lord leads. But I want to tell you what, the only way we're going to be able to combat it is a knowledge of the Word of God, first and foremost. you got to know God's Word if you're going to have assurance and if you're going to add to these virtues. And I'm going to tell you something about knowing the Word of God. Now listen, knowledge and studying Scripture is for the purpose of more than just knowing something. It's more than just gaining an understanding. It is designed to make you more holy and more obedient. The Word of God will have a profound effect upon you that you won't even realize. You just think you've just got some more head knowledge. But I want to tell you what, it'll shape your life. And the Holy Spirit will use it to convict you and guide you his word is a lamp and a light.
and it'll work. Be consistent student of the Word of God. And then be a person of prayer. You gotta have you gotta have a prayer life, folks. No, no wonder you don't know if you know God. You don't ever talk to Him, right? You gotta talk to Him, preacher. I just don't know how to pray. Let me ask you something. Do you know how to have a conversation with anybody? Talk that way to God. Talk that way to God. I mean, just talk to Him, ask Him things, pray. And the more you diligently start doing that, I want to tell you what, it just, it just kind of folds out. You'll just learn to pray more. I, one of the greatest things that I ever started doing was keeping a prayer journal. And I have a prayer journal uh, that I keep. And there's certain things I pray for on Monday, certain things I pray for on Tuesday, certain things I pray for on Wednesday and all throughout the week. On Sunday morning, there's certain things I pray for. And... Uh, uh, it's been a great help. And then I have a, a section called prayer request. Certain days of the week, I pray for those requests. I have what's called a supplication list. And on that supplication list, certain days of the week, I pray for that supplication list. And some of it's scratched out where God's answered prayer. And some of it's been on for four or five years. But that's what we do. And it helps me to pray. Now, folks, you may not have to have that. I've got to have that. I've got to have a little organization. I, I really do. Because, uh, you know, I, 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 I forget things. You ever forget things? Well, if you just didn't say yes, you just forgot that you forgot things. I mean, everybody forgets things. Now, I have to write them down, pray for them, and uh, pen them down and pray for them. And you know what? It's an overwhelming list. Every morning I look at it and I say, Oh, Lord, I should have got up earlier. Lord, I'm a, I, 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 this is overwhelming. And you know what? I'll tell you something else about it. This is where prayer helps you add to your faith. Here it is. I realize that there's not anything on earth I can do to help these people. Only God can work in their life. Only God. And that strengthens my faith, especially when God answers prayer. But one thing I pray for every person, I say, Lord, show me in the Bible, show me in Scripture how to pray for them. Got a couple of people I'm praying for right now, and, and God took me to Jonah. I'm praying they get swallowed by a whale. You know why? Because they're on a ship somewhere going where they ought not go in life. Amen. I'm praying God. Send them a storm and a well, swallow them up, a few days spit them out. And you learn how to pray when you read the Word of God. And so be a person of prayer. And then the third thing is take the initiative. Seize the opportunities you have to apply these virtues. Stop before you act and think about it. Okay, God said, add to my faith brotherly kindness. This is a good idea. I want to chew them out, but right now is a good time to be kindly as a brother. So you've got to stop and, and think about what you're doing and take the initiative. The Christ, you can't live the Christian life uh, on, on speed. You've got to live it one step at a time. It's a walk. It's not a run. Too many of you are trying to run. 
He wants us to live the Christian life more like a crock pot than a microwave. Amen. So you've got to slow down so you can conscientiously make a wise decision. Well, God, I'm about to lose control. Well, you don't have to lose control if you stop and think about it for a while. Walk away. There's just all kinds of things. And so you, you have to apply these virtues in any situation. Ask God to help you. Daily, ask God. Make it a part of your prayer life. God, today, when I run into somewhere where I need to apply the virtues that you ask me, tell me to add to my faith, help me, Lord. And eventually you'll develop a habit. Slow down, think about it, applying these virtues, and you'll have the wisdom of God. Just start doing it. Just start doing it. You know, I, I've told this story before, and it's just one of the most... I've been here 21 years, and I've had a lot of impressive things that have happened to me. Not impressive from me, but happened to me. And one of the most impressive events that ever happened to me one time is I was at a Proverbs with a pastor with our teenagers a number of years ago. Matter of fact, it was the last one we went on before COVID. And uh, we were in Dallas, and uh, we were uh, having a wonderful time in Dallas. We took them to the museums, Sixth Floor Museum, took them to First Baptist Dallas. You remember that? Jonathan, were you on that trip? No? You were, David. All right. Went to Six Flags. I rode every roller. I, rode, I think I rode the roller coaster with every one of them. Listen. <laughs> Don't ever pay for a chiropractor. Just go ride roller coasters <laughs> well, I, with our teenagers. And it was a one. I love Proverbs with a pastor. We've we're, got a camp that we're going to this year in, in June. But um, we were talking about um, some of these virtues from the book of Proverbs. And I asked a question. I said, how, when you just don't want to do it, and you just don't want to to show kindness, or you really don't want to be obedient to, to God. You just want to do your own thing, and, 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 and you know it's wrong, but you know you've got to obey the Lord. What do you do? And one of those kids taught me a lesson. They said, fake it till you make it. <laughs> and I said, what does that mean? And they took the Greek and Hebrew and told no, I'm playing, but... They said, you just do it till it becomes your attitude. And you know what? That's right. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do that. And, and I told that story, and one of our members came up to me and said, you know, that's biblical. And I said, well, I think it is. Where is it? And he showed me Proverbs 16, 3. It's wonderful when your members come up and know the Bible. Amen. Commit your ways unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit your ways. What way? Brotherly kindness way. What way? What way? These virtues, these ways. What way? Knowledgeable way. What way? Self-control, patience. That way. And you just commit yourself, that's what I'm going to do. Regardless of what my brain says, regardless of what my heart says, regardless of what the circumstances say, and, and regardless of whoever says what, I'm going to commit to manifest this virtue in the power of the Holy Spirit submitted to Him, 
and it will become your way of thinking. That's what Proverbs says. You want assurance of your salvation? Start living that, like Peter says. Amen and oh me. Now let's stand for our song of appeal, and we're going to sing, and we're going to talk to the Lord individually. Let's bow in prayer as John and Betty come and talk to the Lord. <clears throat> Are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know our Savior and you have a knowing knowledge that He knows you? If not, I pray this has helped you today. Spend some time with the Lord with an open Bible, reading the gospel of, of the, the book of 1 John, those texts I shared with you last week, they're in the uh, folder for this sermon series. You can get one. And ask God to show you uh, how to have assurance. Maybe you know you're not saved, and today the Holy Spirit has told you you're not a Christian. You're an imitator. You're a fabricator. And you need to be saved, and you want to be saved. I'll be down here to help you come, uh, you come forward and we'll have someone share Christ with you. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.